We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Tonight we're here to do a quick recap, reaction, rapid, quick takeaways from the Giants' loss in Week 16 to the Vikings. This is one of the toughest losses I've experienced as a fan in a long time, Nick. Uh, I'll tell you why. The main reason why is, one, I feel like they outplayed the Vikings and lost anyway. Two, it means something. We're finally playing games in December. That means something. If they had won today, they would have clinched the playoff spot. More importantly for me, though, if they had won today, they would have positioned themselves in a nice spot to play the Vikings in the playoffs instead of playing the 49ers, which now seems like the most likely scenario for the Giants. Now, the Giants are still not a lock to be in the playoffs, but I believe Dougie Analytics put out that they have a 77% chance to make the playoffs right now, even after the loss today. And they can still make the playoffs if they lose their next two games. If they win one game next week, they clinch. So all they have to do is beat the Colts at home. In a home, yeah, you know that should be definitely a game that you know it's a playoff game. And if they don't win that anyway, we probably feel a little worried about the team. But if they play like they did today, they can beat the Vikings. They can beat the Colts. They can beat a lot of teams in the NFL. Maybe not the 49ers. We'll have to see there. I don't really love how that matchup looks, but we'll see if it ends up happening. But why I'm so you know why it's so disappointing to lose this game because they really looked like they finally were clicking today. I'm um, offense more than they ever have. Um, so I want to start there. Well, actually, let me start with uh, what's your what were some of your quick takeaways or just key th- reactions that you wanted to get out there first? The Giants' defense collapsed in that final drive with the third and nine play to Justin Jefferson, and then the third and eleven screen. But other than that, man, this defense with the likes of Fabian Moreau being your quote-unquote shutdown cornerback and Darnay Holmes being one-on-one on Justin Jefferson actually did a pretty good job in the second half other than the 12-play, 75-yard touchdown drive, which ended in TJ Hawkinson's second touchdown. Because after that, you have Daniel Jones come right back and throw an interception. The score is 17-13. to That could have been complete shutdown mode. This is in the fourth quarter. But then the Giants' defense steps up, and they force a turnover on downs. Giants' offense goes down the field, kicks a field goal. And what does the Giants' defense do? Three and out. Sets up the New York Giants offense, but unfortunately, special teams kind of comes and kicks the Giants ass because the blocked punt happens, and that resulted in the Justin Jefferson touchdown on a short field. TJ Hawkinson, it wasn't KJ Osborne as we kind of thought, or Adam Thielen, who was virtually unknown in that game, but this is a team, man, 
that as you kind of alluded to to start the show, the Giants can beat this team. If they play this team in the playoffs, the Giants can steal a win. They had this game right in front of them. Dude, they had over 400 yards of offense in this game. They had 445 yards of total offense. Daniel Jones was cooking with the quick game. I think what we said a couple weeks ago, we were like, we want the New York Giants to incorporate more quick game passing concepts. Allow Daniel Jones to get the football out of his hand. And now it seems like he's in rhythm. Two, three weeks ago, this offense was not in rhythm at all, Dan. Right. And right now, they were in rhythm a lot. And the ball placement might not have been perfect. Richie James held on to the one pass. Maybe the Giants win this football game. That ball was on Richie James. The other one was a little bit behind Richie James. But regardless of the fact, there are signs of encouragement to take away from this loss. It just sucks that it ended up being another Loss for the New York Giants with a 60-plus yard field goal, man. This seems to happen to this team a lot. Well, yeah, we can get into that. That's like the most devastating sat. This is courtesy of Keegan Abdu on Twitter. He said, lead changing 60-plus yard field goals in the final two minutes of a game since 2016. Right? That's the stat. Against the Giants, teams are 3-for-3. Against all their teams, they're two for 15 and 60 plus field goals to win the game in the final two minutes of the game. It's just insane. That's just so that's the variance on that is absolutely absurd. It's incredibly unlucky for the Giants, obviously. But I mean, even if you back it up before then, I mean, the Vikings had the ball on their own 40 with 18 seconds left and no timeouts. And you let up a game game winning field goal. That's on you. Like that screen is going to beat me up. I'm going to be mad about that screen all day. Like, I know you live and die by the blitz if you're Wink Martindale, but no need to blitz there. Trust your four-man rush. Make sure you're not beat by a screen. Like, there's just no – like, if he's dry, if you're anticipating Cousins is going to try to hit some kind of, like, another out route to Jefferson or something long developing in the intermediate range, I understand why you might want to blitz, but teams have been killing you with the screen all year. Just last week, Terry McLaurin beat the Giants, like, the exact same play. And so it should have been on his radar that that could be in play there. And the Vikings had already – popped a couple screens against the Giants in this game. So I like Wink Martindale overall. I don't think I really don't personally want to judge. I'll be honest with you. I don't really like judging him in general this year because I think he's working with one of the worst decks in the NFL as far as talent goes on the defense side of the ball. He literally has a good defensive line and nothing else right now. But having said that, sometimes you want him to make the right calls in the right spots. And I don't know that blitzing there was. So that was sucked. It's just amazing to me to look at that game clock. See 18 seconds, no timeouts, ball on their own 40, yet somehow it's a field goal. Like that's just, to me, it's just why. And, and also I think it was third down. Yeah, it was third and 11. It was too. third and 11. So, like, mm -hmm. Even have two downs for it. So it was a heartbreaking way to lose this game. But I think you touched on the key for me, which is despite how heartbreaking it was and how frustrating it is now that we're not going to have a good chance to play the Vikings again, a team that they can obviously beat. We saw it today. Whatever, all those things are moot. The key to me is I'm taking a moral victory here. I hate to take moral victories. I know people hate them. I don't love them personally, but I'm never, when I'm watching these games and I'm evaluating these games, I'm looking for like, what does this mean for the future? And I finally saw today an offense that was clicking in the passing game better than it has since the Jacksonville game, where they also had like 445 yards offense. That was the best game they've had since. You can point to the Lions game, but let's be honest. The Lions are up like three scores when we started racking up all those yards. That was mostly garbage time yards. I don't count those the same as these kind of yards and the Jacksonville game yards where it's like real game. The, the game's on the line. You're, you know, the, everyone's playing the same way. So I take encouragement from that, Nick. I also take encouragement from the fact that the game plan, which we wanted and we got, was insanely pass-heavy. It was like a classic Brian Dable-Bills game plan. I really felt that way. We didn't run the ball a lot. We really didn't call many runs. Obviously, the fourth and two call to Barkley was an incredible situational call by Mike Kafka and Brian Dable to go to the run there. That was so well done. They were definitely expecting pass. We ran it. Barkley made a good play, obviously, to, to turn that into a touchdown, but... Good situation calls, mostly passing. But despite it being so pass heavy, 
we mostly held up in pass protection. I put that on Twitter. I know people are like, what are you watching the same game I did? I get it. Evan Neal had some really bad pass reps. We all see those, right? And most of those happened in the first half. They did derail some drives early on. Like, look, this game started with punts from both teams. After that, there weren't many punts at all. One from like maybe one from the Giants the rest of the game after those first two possessions. So really after that, they went pass heavy. They produced with the pass heavy and the pass reduction held up and made it possible. We've said all season long, right? Like, are they not passing the ball? Cause they don't trust the offensive line. Are they not passing the ball? Because they don't trust them. Well, today they trust the pass, the offensive line and it paid off because yeah, there were some bad reps from Evan Neal, but for the most part, they were able to throw the ball. Daniel Jones completed 72% of his passes, despite attempting a ton of passes over 300, almost 300, what 334 yards passing or something like that. I think it was three, three, four, or maybe it was 34, 40 for 300 something. And in addition to that, some of those incompletions were just drops. Like Richie James had a couple drops. There's one more that was definite drop. So, you know, overall, look, I can't be more pleased. And one more thing I want to add, man, because it was something you talked about on the last film breakdown. I was so happy to see it. They had one of those switch releases on the outside on the big play to, to Hodgins. And guess what? Jones took the vertical shot and he hit Hodgins. And it was Hodgins to fully outstretch his hands, made a sick catch on that. So we'll talk a little bit more about Hodgins in a second. But I was just glad to see them see something they saw on tape last week and actually take the shot. Oh, they ran a lot of switch releases. They were doing the same play that they did last week where it was a switch release from the two outside to the one inside. And then they both in break at around the sticks at around like six yards and then eight to nine, 10 yard depth from the, uh, from the outside guy. So I appreciated that we were able to see that and that Daniel Jones was cooking as much as he was. And you're right. It was 334 yards. 30 completions on 42 pass attempts yes. or a Saquon Barkley in this close game only had 14 carries. And it seemed like there was a one stretch in the game. I think it was in somewhere towards the end of the third quarter where they just kept going to Saquon Barkley because they liked the box that was favorable because Minnesota was kind of playing back a little bit because they were getting eaten up by the short to intermediate passing attack that the New York Giants were employing. So now we're starting to see an offense, Dan. That is much more complimentary. So now you can really kind of keep defenses on your toes, which is going to open up the rushing attack, which will eventually open up the play action passing attack, which we know is what the New York Giants want to use. We know the Minnesota Vikings want to use that as well. But Dan, if you want to look at it holistically, right? The New York Giants turned the football over twice. They didn't have any turnovers. They had the turnover on down, but they didn't have any turnovers. Right. They were still in this game in the final seconds tied against a team that was 11 and three. Like, that's the a Giants, pretty good yeah, I mean, The Giants play. turned the ball over twice, but both times were also in scoring range. Like those are already in Gano range. Gano hits from both those. So that's a minimum six points they took off the exactly. board. They had three interceptions. They or two interceptions they dropped the Giants, and that which is insane. The, the, the dropped interceptions. I mean, look, Flot, he made a good play on the ball. It was a really good play to drive on that. But catch the ball, man. Like we need you to catch. Like we need that changes the whole game. That was yeah. literally the moment, the reason they lost this game. I hate to say it, no not the reason they lost this game. It was one of the factors that could have changed the game, I should say. Because if he makes that interception, they're not losing this game, in my opinion. And it's tough. You're a defensive back. but And then the third one, which wasn't a drop, but it was a pick, but Moreau kind of grabbed, on, tugged yeah. on him. Like I don't I'm even fine, count that one. I'm fine with that call, as yeah. long as it's just defensive holding. But it's not. it should have never been pass interference, in my opinion. I thought that was a stupid call to make that pass interference. Yeah. That was a lot of yard difference. That was like a 15-yard difference. That should have just been a defensive holding. When you grab around enough holding, it was like a half second. But that's three dropped interceptions. The two, uh, the fumble and the interception from Jones and then the fumble from Bellinger, his first mistake literally of his rookie season, which is incredible. He's gotten this far with one mistake. Those plays, you have the Richie James drop on third down as perfect as a ball as you could throw him. Great read by Jones. Great drive. Jones had a couple throws in this Under game. Pressure too. 
yeah, under pressure, that one. The one that he threw, like, under pressure with the RPO, I thought that was a really good throw. I know it's, like, a simple in-breaking slant off an RPO, but, like, that dude was, like, he had to catch the ball. He was getting hit, and he drove that thing in there. Obviously, the Hodgins throw, among others. He had a great game. Um, the blocked punt, another mistake. So, blocked punt, three dropped interceptions by the Giants, or two, if you want to call it that. Two turnovers in scoring range. The James drop allowing the third and long screen for 20 yards, the penalty, the two penalties that killed two of their offensive drives. Like that's not a recipe to win. You're never going to win a game like that, right? Like you could, if you have Mahomes or Allen, maybe, but most of the time that's your recipe you lose. And they still almost won this game. I can't come away, not encouraged from all that. Exactly. I, I couldn't have said it better, Dan. I, I really couldn't. That was kind of my first thoughts. Like as Greg Joseph went out there, I was like, he's going to make this. This is just what happened. Somehow we knew he was going to make it. It's disgusting that we knew it was going in. And of course it did, you know, reaffirmed everything that we believed 61 freaking yard field goal. But then afterwards I'm like, look, I know this sucks. Like I was pissed off, but I was also like, the Giants really played their asses off here. And hopefully, hopefully knocking on wood, they will only get healthier as the playoffs approach. Hopefully they can get a Dory Jackson back. I don't think Justin Jefferson, he might though, because he's such a stud goes for 12 for 133 with a Dory Jackson out there. Who knows? I mean, he was going up against like Darnay Holmes. You got Nick McLeod right. and Fabian Murray. Like Ajax is a much different player. A lot player of those, those throws guys. were two spots. Though. I mean, like they have so much trust. Okay. In we talked about them on the preview. Like Cousins, one of them, he missed Cousins, which was lucky for us because Jefferson was open. But otherwise, he's just throwing his spots and Jefferson's getting there. Exactly. He's just yeah. throwing his spots. Kind of reminds me of what Tua is doing with yes. Jalen Waddle like and, and, yep. and Tyreek Hill. And credit to Cousins to be able to recognize that. But the Giants did well against the rushing game like we anticipated. Yep. We knew there would be a second receiver. We thought it might be KJ Osborne. It ended up being TJ Hawkinson, who looked like Gronk out there. Like That was the TJ Hawkinson that was picked in the top <laughs> 10. Like, we haven't seen that really right. all that much throughout his career. But he looked really freaking good out there. That was a beautiful play call by Kevin O'Connell down in the red zone to get so him to nice. wheel out. Yeah, Julian throw Love, too. Yeah, Julian Love. And I think it was Darnay Holmes even recognized what was going on, came off his assignment. It Almost. didn't even matter because yeah. it was such a well-placed ball and just a strong catch from TJ. Yeah, exactly. There were a few stuff like that. You mentioned the injuries and getting healthier. We don't know about it, Dory. I guess no. hopefully he's back next week. I don't I don't know if that's even a likelihood, though. He didn't really practice this week. McKinney, who knows what's going on. I'm talking on about for that. the playoffs. I'm not even talking about for next yeah, week. Yeah, okay, for the rest of the season. If they make the playoffs, they still have to win. probably win one more. They can actually get in if they lose two, but they still probably have to win one more. Um, I would feel different right now, I think, if Detroit – one against Carolina and if yeah, Seattle was able right. to somehow pull up or if Washington, yeah, exactly. Which Washington was never going to win that, but agreed completely with that. And we'll see what happens with green Bay and Miami tomorrow, Miami. Obviously we should all be rooting for Miami though. The giants have the tiebreaker over green Bay. So actually I'm not sure how much that is going to matter though. There we have a tie. So there's a lot of factors that go into that, that I'm actually not entirely sure of, but on the injury front, I did want to mention one thing. We lost Aziz Ojolari, who was having a great game. He had that sick pass rush where he almost got the forced uh, fumble sack, literally got back up and still got the sack. That was awesome. Then he got injured. He has an injured ankle. I am reading early on, at least, that it's good news on that front. Like he's described that as a basketball injury, like when you roll your ankle as a basketball player. When that happens, you usually are A, supposed to go like back on it. You're supposed to like keep playing through it kind of thing and like walk it off so you don't want it to get like cold. And by the way, someone should fact check me on that because I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's always how, how I've approached rolled ankles in my pickup basketball days. I used to play a lot of basketball in leagues in the city and pick up. And if you have one of those little ankle twist rolls, you just kind of go back in there. Um, keep it keep it hot. But who knows if that's true? But hopefully he can be back for next week. I don't know. 
The one that scared me the most was Leonard Williams. I was so happy to see Leonard Williams back in there. And I didn't even mention that before when I talked about that slew of just like bad breaks for the Giants and stupid turnovers and penalties. They also had the hold on Leonard Williams that would have put the Vikings in a third and 11 situation instead gave him an auto first and on the very next play or on that play Williams gets hurt it's like a bang bang bad news but Williams did come back in the game which is good other than that there were no major injuries no there weren't and just speaking on that pass rush man I felt yeah. like they were all over cousins for a lot of that game especially and yes, third and longs yes especially third and longs man that, that's one thing I was really encouraged by was just how much Dexter Lawrence Aziz Ojolari when he was in there and then yeah. obviously Leonard Williams and to cave on what they can actually do. Because this is, look, the Minnesota Vikings, they're a 12 and 3 team. I think we can realistically say that they're not like a lot of other 12 and 3 teams. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a positive way. Like they have a lot of um, fortune right now. I mean, they're right. what, 11 and 0 in one score games? 11 and 0, Dan, in one score games. That's insane. That's it not really sustainable. Is. That's yeah. not sustainable at all. And it, it worked out for him again. And that's all well and good. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. But the Giants were able to come up with what? I think two third down sacks. Yep. I'm trying to think right now. Two third down sacks. Sure and Dexter, yep. I feel like Dexter Lawrence, man, almost every play, whether it was a run or a pass, he had some sort of impact. 97 was jumping off the screen. He's having an insane season. Like it's nonstop. He's had 70,000 reps. They don't take him off the field ever. And yet no tired. He's not like having bad games ever. Every single game is a good game. It's crazy. He's splitting double teams. And a lot of these sacks that like other people are getting are because of the interior pressure right. from Dexter Lawrence forcing. And yep. Yep. And Leonard Williams. So like that combination has been phenomenal for the New York giants. The back end is the back end. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. You know? I felt like Landon Collins had a good game. Uh, all things That's considered. I'm, point. I'm interested to see the tape, but the, the play on TJ Hawkinson in the first, uh, the first quarter, where he was able to get to the catch point and, and kind of rip the ball away. He had a couple of nice tackles on screens. There were Sad. a lot of a lot of screen. Yep. The sack on second and four, I think it was, there were a lot of screens in this game and it was, it's kind of sucked though, man, because there were like two where the giants played them phenomenally. They read exactly what was going on. The key, they diagnosed everything that came downhill. One of them was landing Collins, blew it up. But then there was like two tight end screens that the giants just don't know what the hell's going on. One was to freaking Johnny Munt, which is like a really interesting name to have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the Giants just—I don't know, man—they they struggle with the screen game, and obviously it makes a lot of sense. so much. It's like hard to play the screen when you're this aggressive, and teams are going to keep calling it on the Giants. They'd be idiots not to. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. 
We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some Liquid Death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it. So I was not. So if you want to try some of this Liquid Death, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. Exactly. I mean, I would too if I was an offensive coordinator, if I had that kind of talent. But it just sucked that it happened on that third and eleven. And that was just that was one of the most well executed screens by the Vikings or by any team that I've seen because Justin Jefferson stepped up field, got everybody to back off, yeah. selling that vertical stem, and then just came right underneath. All the blockers were in space. And Sucks. I looked to see, I'm like, oh crap, like were there were the blockers downfield? And they just weren't. By the time Kirk Cousins threw the football, they were all still kind of by the line of scrimmage. It was just so well done. And it's tilting to me mostly because one, it should never happen. You have 18 seconds from your own 40. That should be overtime. But I really thought the Giants would win that game if it went to overtime because the Giants at that point were not really getting stopped on offense. They had the one time they got stopped right before the stupid Jamie Gillen block. And now what is that? Like Jamie, the, the special teams right now is just an abject disaster of a season. This is as bad as special teams have been since like the Tom Quinn era, where it was just like constant bad games over and over again. We thought we fixed it with McGay. We know he's like the most well-respected special teams coach. I don't even really like to blame special teams coaches perfectly personally, because I think it's kind of like, I don't really know enough of what goes into special teams. We watch the film every week on offense and defense. I have a good feel for concepts on offense and defense, how you're supposed to move the ball and how you're supposed to stop the ball. I don't really know special teams that well. So like it could just be the players making dumb mistakes. I really don't know who's at blame. This is just a punt that's getting blocked, but like 
dude, we can't have a punt block situation. Like you talked about what happened after that. They scored a touchdown on a short field. That's absurd. Like you can't have those types of things happen. Um, but, you know, he had that anyway. But otherwise, other than that, I really feel like the Giants had, once again, a coaching edge in this game. I thought Mike Kafka had one of his best games of the season. A lot of he's taken a lot of heat and hate over the last few months. He came out. He said, I don't he knew that he had to throw the ball in this game, and he did. A lot of people are saying we should have stayed more balanced. I completely disagree. When we started to go back to that run-run pass BS that we've done a lot this year, that's when we got bogged down. When we came out staying in the gun, staying throwing on early downs, that's when we were doing well, and that's why they moved the ball really well for the most part in this game. On the defense side of the ball, you mentioned it best. We had more stops than them. They had only 330-plus yards or whatever. We had four, we almost more than 100 yards of offense more than the Vikings. We came up with huge stops in the red zone, the Giants defense did. shouldn't say we. The Giants came up with huge stops in the red zone. The Giants came up with big sacks that you talked about on Keith. They're downs. They got off the field, like you said, right before that Jamie Gillen punt in a tough spot where you were all, everyone's thinking like, all right, we got our points, but now the Vikings are going to at least get three out of this. Like, right. They were supposed to be able to move the ball at will against this defense with that kind yep. of offense. My opinion, coaching was great on Wink Martindale's part. We had a coaching edge in this game. Again, like when you have a game where we're out, yarding them by a hundred yards, yet we have way less talent on the field. And it's not to say the Vikings are the most talented team, but, Come on, look at the Giants defense. Look at the second and third levels. We have Mike McFadden, Jalen. We have those types of guys on the field, like the secondary at this point, besides Julian Love. And yet, despite all that, I felt like we were playing, we were the better team, or the Giants were the better team, which means, in my mind, we had the coaching edge. The Giants. So. But How many wees am I going to say in a two I'm not sure. You're just full of wees at this moment. I used to never wee the Giants, by the way, and now I've gotten in this like bad habit of weeing the Giants. I used to never do this. I was very cognizant and made it a, like my mission to never use we when talking about the giants, but things have changed. Apparently I use we every now and again, okay. and you know what? It's fine. I love the New York giants. You know, that that's, okay. that's the team that I root for, even though it's the team that I professionally cover now. Well, we don't play for them. We in there. Yeah, no, we do not play for them. No, but I'll say this, man. And I kind of want to get your opinion on this. Wink Martindale's taking a lot of shit for blitzing a lot on that final. What was it? Uh, I think it was, it was less than a minute. Do you have any problems with that? Him trying to dictate, to the offense because my one thing is Kirk just Cousins on the third and long just the third and yeah. long one just the third and 11 so what yeah. about the third and nine because the third and nine one is the one that's a little bit more interesting to me because they're backed up right, right at that point so you might even be thinking hey if we stop them here we can get the ball we could drive down right. and have Graham Gano kick a 60 yard field goal because the New York Giants are well aware of that we date back to 2018 so that might have been his mindset on that third and nine play but Kirk Cousins just threw it right to the spot with Justin Jefferson it just sucked because you had Darnay Holmes in a one-on-one and you had Julian Love who was like 30 yards off the line of scrimmage like you have all those guys coming I think they had a seven-man pass rush at that time right with Julian Love that far back it just gave Justin Jefferson the numbers to the sideline because yep. Darnay Holmes was an inside leverage. True. Well said, which is make, you know, makes it a call that you don't love. And I guess the same can be said about the third and 11 with the screen. It's like with the blitz, but having said that, I don't really feel, I don't hate it because I don't feel like if the giants had done anything different, it would have been much of a different outcome. These linebackers just make zero plays in pass lanes. So I'm not thinking like they would have like, we'd have like, Oh, Micah McFadden gets his hand on a pass and tips it. Or like, changes the trajectory of the throw from cousins because they're just never in position to do that yeah i'm not trying to armchair quarterback or yeah, anything. No, i know you're not it just seems like dexter lawrence leonard williams was back at that time and aziz ojalari right. and then whoever else four yeah those guys would have been able to get maybe enough pressure on a third and nine to to or a third and 11 one of the two especially after they were burned on the third and nine but i'm not i'm not slinging arrows at wink martindale it's just uh 
It's just looking at it from a, from another perspective because it did not work out and because the Giants I were getting pressure. Fair. Because we, yeah. you're, you're right. We were getting pressure. They were getting pressure with the four. So, and, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think so. What I want to talk about, though, which we haven't talked about yet, was the incredible drive by Daniel Jones to tie the game. Daniel Jones and the offense, I should say. Obviously, everyone played a role in that. This was, you know, a big-time moment. You tweeted about it. I think you called it a gotta-have-it moment. It was that. The Giants went on a drive that scored a touchdown, down eight points, and then they converted the two-point conversion with a great play call and play design. Look, if I'm in the red zone and I'm an offensive coordinator and I have a quarterback like Daniel Jones who can move and throw on the run like he has displayed this year, and let me tell you, he's taken a massive jump when it comes to throwing on the run, specifically rolling right. You really don't see it a lot throwing left unless it's like that quick fake handoff and just kind of the quick dump down. But throwing right, he's patient. He's got better vision. He waits for things to come open. And when you're in the red zone, you have a quarterback who can run like that. You should basically only call play action rollouts and get those options on the move where the quarterback can either run or throw the ball. In that spot, that two-point inversion, it's one of my favorite throws from Daniel Jones this entire season, even though I know it's only a six-yard throw. To me, the level of difficulty on that throw is really hard because it's all about arm talent there. You have to change your arm slot, change your trajectory of the throw so you can get it over that defender. He gets it just over the defender into the top of Bellinger's hands. And even after that, you can't throw it too high because Bellinger is going to be out of bounds. It's a perfect throw in a key spot where, you know, you missed that two-point version, the game's over. I was happy to drive before, Nick that the Vikings made, in my opinion, a mistake, by the way. They should have 100% in my mind gone for two there when they were up seven to make it nine and, and just essentially win the game. You're way better off, in my opinion, doing that. They didn't do that, which was helpful because the Giants could obviously make the two-point inversion to tie it. But let's talk a little bit about that drive. What are some of the things you liked on that drive from Jones? Well, first, I like the play call on the third and two because I thought that the play call was it was like a drive series, essentially. So you have one receiver who's outside. He's going to run a deep dig and then you're going to run a horizontal or a, like a drag route underneath it. Right. And then you also take that running back and you flare him out. So what does that do? That removes the middle of the field defender. He's going to match Saquon Barkley. I think it was to the flat. So now there's a void and you're high lowing the middle of the field. Everyone sank to depth to remove the dig route. So Darius Slayton came open. Result was what? 36 or 32 yards to Darius Slayton to really spring that drive. And then obviously yeah. the fourth and two, we kind of already talked about that. I thought that was an excellent call and an excellent play by Saquon Barkley to, to really see the defensive front and also just kind of find that space between John Feliciano and Nick Gates. And then he was isolated against a safety in the alley. We know what Saquon Barkley does to a lot of safeties. Whenever he has a two way go, he just made him look silly touchdown. And then that Daniel Bellinger play you were talking about. That was a very smart play from Daniel Bellinger. And I know we talk a lot about his intelligence, his toughness, his ability to block, but bro, he could have kept flowing with the play. Right. Daniel Jones does a really good job stepping up into the pocket to avoid the rush. And then he flows to his right. And if you watch the defense, they're underneath defenders who kind of clamp down on Richie James, and it might have been Isaiah Hodgins. And then you just see Daniel Bellinger stop and just sit. He just sits in the voided area. And Daniel Jones sees him, delivers him with a little bit of touch, and Daniel Bellinger is able to catch that football before the backside defender realizes what the hell is going on. But the fact that Daniel Bellinger knows where to sit, that kind of spatial awareness that we talk about, we have to applaud him for that because yes. it's something that is precocious. It's something that not a lot of young players possess, right? That just natural feel on where to be and when to be there. And I just feel like Daniel Bellinger does a great job. And I know he had that fumble and that sucked. You know, I'm sure he'd be the first person to say it. But when you have to have it, he came up big in that situation to tie this football game. And that was a really great play by the defensive back, by the way, on the fumble. Like that was 
perfect. He caught the ball. He yep. turned his right sh- upfield shoulder. The, the ball's in his left, and the defenders are sitting right there to bat that thing out. It's a great play. Sometimes you got to give credit to the defense. By the way, not to harp too much on that play, but it was an amazing. I love the play design by Mike Kafka. I'm excited to go over that on tomorrow's show with the All-22 because he had him as the H-back, got him matched up against. That's just absolutely great stuff, and I hope he brings that back. But on the play you were talking about, what did we talk about after that Baltimore game when he had another basically game-altering touchdown against the Ravens to help them win that game? Like Daniel Jones said after the game in his presser, Bellinger just has this innate knack, like you talked about, this feel for where to sit in zones, this feel for when to get down and find your spot. You can't really teach that, right? You can't coach that. You just have to have that or you don't have that. And that's a great example. It's the second time this season he's caught in a huge pass by just understanding where where to be and where to sit and where to you know position yourself to make it easiest for your quarterback. And that's exactly what he did. And that's why, you know, even after that game, Jones kind of hinted like he's kind of like a quarterback's best friend for that reason. I want to talk about another player who was kind of like a quarterback's best friend in this game, in my opinion, at least. And that's Isaiah Hodgins, who at this point to me, I know he didn't have a big second half for whatever reason. It's okay. Things happen. <laughs> like it's not, you cannot get the ball to these guys every play, but his first half was absolutely phenomenal, man. I mean, he did everything you want. He caught the ball that was low and almost at his feet, caught it, tra- like, trapped it and got it in there. Not incomplete catch. He caught the ball that was that he had to catch and then a defender helmet to helmet hit him, which should have been called for a 15 yard penalty. I really don't know why it wasn't. If they're the, the point, they're trying to get rid of those exact plays. And I, for some reason, they call I kind of knew going in, by the way, we weren't going to get any calls in this game based on what happened against Washington. And this is just kind of a theory that my, my dad, Ron Schneier had, like he, he just felt like we we're going to get screwed all game by these refs. And I know exactly what he's talking about. And it's not like I felt like we got screwed in this game, Nick, but I felt like we definitely got the bad end of some of the calls which again, I expected after the Washington thing with the DPI, but regardless, if that, that were the case been- though, that I feel like the Giants should benefit from so many calls. Cause I feel like the Washington <laughs> case has happened. No, but so it has many to be like one of those Giants. egregious ones where like the NFL sends the apology. Because I've, I've seen in the past yeah. that Giants have actually gotten screwed by some of those types of calls in the past. And the NFL sent the apology to the Giants. Like I remember a few over the last few years where we've gotten these stupid apology letter. And then the next game, I feel like we got like some cheap calls. So I feel like it is a thing. It's just a conspiracy. It may not be true. It's probably not true. We hope it's not true because then the NFL is like somewhat rigged and we don't want to be watching a rigged league. But it kind of does feel that way. But anyway, he makes that catch and then he comes back and he makes that catch on this on the switch release where he's fully extended with his hands. That was a sick catch got both feet in it's a good throw too but it's a sick freaking catch man and even on some of the other like he had a couple of those in breakers that he caught for decent canes i just watch his feet on those and he really creates separation at the top of those routes against the cornerback that's not an easy thing to do for a guy his size he's supposed to be just this guy who can catch everything around him which he does he's big he's physical but he also has pretty good feet for a guy his size something you've talked about something i've talked about as well and i feel this way for sure I really like what I saw from Hodgins in this game. I feel like he's a guaranteed piece moving forward. Now, maybe that just is the wide receiver three. I'm okay with that, though. He doesn't have to be a wide receiver one to have value on this roster. No, he doesn't. And I think a body control is another thing that we that's should talk it. about yep. with Isaiah Hodgins. And that's specifically impressive because he is so large. He's six foot four, 209 pounds. That's a big freaking wide receiver. And he can go up and he can win those 50 50 balls and things of that nature. He can use his body to box defenders out. But he's also smart, too. We talk about Daniel Bellinger and his intelligence. You see Isaiah Hodgins multiple weeks now. He's making plays in the red zone. Now, the one was pure route running against Washington in the first matchup where he faked the pivot and then ran the return route to the pylon. But there were a couple ones, the one against the Eagles, where 
He noticed the flow of the defense and he sat and provided his large body as a target for Daniel Jones. And I just really think he is somebody who should be on this team. The Giants, I'm, he's going to be like an exclusive rights free agent. So I'm imagining the Giants going to bring him back. Right. They should hopefully get Colin Johnson back from the Achilles. We don't know how that's going to materialize, but these guys aren't complete scrubs. Now, obviously, they're not Justin Jefferson. The Giants don't have a true number one wide right. receiver, right? That they don't. They don't have the 11 personnel package of the Washington Commanders, which Ahan right. Dotson, who looks like a star in the making after another yeah, big game against San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. But these guys can play. Darius Slayton can play. Now, Darius Slayton, he's frustrating, but he can play. Isaiah Hodgins can certainly play. He has size, and I feel like he is more athletic than, than we maybe give him credit for. He's like ran a 4-6-1 to me. He looks like he might be a little bit faster than that, have a yes. little bit more juice than that as well. And he's coming up in these big key spots, bro. He had what? Eight catches for 89 yards on 11 targets with another touchdown. The guy is on fire at this yeah. point of the season. And I'm, I'm very happy for him because this guy was on a practice squad not long ago. And now here he is on a playoff contending team making huge game deciding type of catches. And real traits to build on. The body control being one of them. The physicality to catch everything in your radius with a big catch radius. These are three traits to build on and the pretty damn good feet at the top, you know, at the top of his breaks to get in and out of his breaks, especially for his size. It's a fourth one. You can kind of lean on. Those are really good traits to build moving forward with Hodgins. I really like him as a piece. Again, not a true wide receiver one. We're not trying to say that here. We still know we need one to change this offense, but somebody who you can rely on, somebody you can put in as a starter. And at worst, he's going to give you pretty good production. Here's Nick showing on. If you're watching on YouTube, the catch again, it was a sick catch on the deep ball there, but I want to turn it over a little bit here as in, you could keep playing through these. Wow. What a catch full, full extension there from Hodgins. And he got both feet in, but I want to turn it over to a couple thoughts and, and, and discussions on the offensive line in this game. I actually felt like, again, with the exception of some Evan Neal reps to start, this was one of the best games from the offensive line and pass protection because context has to be included and has to be factored in. The context is this. It's the first game all season. We threw almost every down. And the offensive line still gave them a chance to do that. We thought all season, look, if you throw every down, we can't do it because we don't trust the O-line. And some games, I don't think they could have done it, right? Against the Eagles, that probably wouldn't have worked. Against Dallas, that first matchup, there was no way that was going to work because that pass rush was getting in every play. But in this game, we felt like it worked. There were some improvements from some of the guys in the offensive line. What are your thoughts on a, on a couple key offensive line topics, though? Because I think after we see the tape, we'll see another phenomenal game from Andrew Thomas on tape. I saw a couple of the reps that on the, just the broadcast that stood out to me where he's just, just dominating his one-on-one -on -one matchup. But let's talk about the not-so-dominant players in this game, starting with Evan Neal. Uh, wh where are we at with Evan Neal? What did you see from him in this game just on the broadcast? I didn't love what I saw, but those were mainly the the plays that maybe had a huge impact. What? Right. Daniel Jones was sacked, let's see, three times. I think two of them might have been from Evan Neal, but I'm not really 100% certain about that. There was the one where I think it was Daniel Hunter did an excellent job working upfield, getting Evan Neal to set up the field. And then once Hunter, I think it was, got to the depth of the quarterback, he just came right underneath Evan Neal, and Evan Neal wasn't in position to, to make the block. Look, you're going to start him. So there's really no reason to 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 think that Evan Neal is is going to be a player that would ever get benched. Obviously, at right. this point, he's a struggling young player who missed a decent chunk of the season with injury. So and might still happen. be playing hurt, by the way. And he might still be playing hurt, which which a lot of people are um thinking that he might be. So I'm hoping that he gets better, but I don't know if it's going to happen this season. There's not that many games left. It, it might be a frustrating end to the season. I don't think it's as bad as Andrew Thomas was to, to end his season back in 2020, which is saying a lot, 
right? Because we're a little bit down at Evan Neal right now, just because it hasn't been there, but I, I'm still remain high on him. He just needs to work on a lot of these little technical things and balance and things of that nature. And also just like on when to time up his pass sets and how right. to stay in front of his defender. Cause I feel like defenders are easily evading him. And once his feet and hips aren't square on a defender, He's very, he struggles very much to stay in front of that guy. And then he, that's when he leans and I apologize for the dog. That's when he leans and he ends up falling on the ground and it just does not work out. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. We're running out of time as far as will it get better this year, but let's keep in mind the context. Like let's keep in mind the entire context here, right? When we've had bad tackles in the past from Eric flowers and his rookie season, basically all of Eric flowers is snaps, especially his rookie season, the Bobby hearts. Like we've had other idiots that tackle Nate Solder in his last year's it was like all game was ruined by them, right? This is just still only two, three, four, probably handful of plays or fewer by Evan Neal. All those other plays where we threw for three, where the Giants threw for 340 or whatever, Evan Neal obviously had a pretty damn good rep because he didn't blow the rep, right? Like nothing bad happened on his side. We've had games where you couldn't even move the ball because Solder, Hart, and, and Flowers. Yeah, th those things aren't even comparable. It's like a right. couple bad reps a game that really stick out and they kind of result in the sacks sometimes, right? right? Or, or huge pressures. That's terrible, but... I remember watching Eric Flowers. I think it was a Monday night football game and it was every single play. Eli Manning. Every play, right. Yeah. Every, in every play thing. Yep. That's not Evan Neal. Okay. Like let's not try to freaking paint Evan Neal into that light. He's not that he's, he's still not. a struggling young player. That's, that's how yep. we have to label him. Hopefully he can progress in next season. Him and Andrew Thomas can hit the deck running because Andrew Thomas, like you said, bro, he looked really good. I think I found one clip in my, uh, after I watched the game again, where he just takes a defender on a stunt and just, drives him into the ground. Like I'm going to try to find it right now. He just takes him and just drives him into the ground. <laughs> and look, it's going to be tough to not, I have a strong feeling we'll have to see on the tape, but I have a strong feeling he's going to be the best player on tape. It's going to be a two man race. I think for me, between him and Daniel Jones, as far as who was best on film, but I shouldn't say that before watching the tape, but it just feels like that way. It feels like that's pretty obvious, but I think part of it, man, was a little bit of motivation from Andrew Thomas after being snubbed from the pro bowl in this game. And I think he was made what a third alternate. Is that what it was? Which is really uh, disrespectful to me. I think if it was, was it a third alternate? I don't know if it was a third alternate. It might have just been an alternate over. Okay. I thought it was Lane, like the third alternate or something. Lane like Johnson, that. Tristan Wirfs, and Trent Williams. And those are all great players. So like I totally yeah. like it's not like that egregious or anything, but he probably feels like he deserved his first Pro Bowl nod. And he did. Like it's hard to not give it to one of those guys. I get it. So I'm not like it's not I'm not crazy about it or anything, but I'm sure it played a little bit of a factor today because he was freaking dominant in this game. And it's not like the Vikings don't have anything on the edge, right? They have two pretty good edge rushers there um, in Hunter and, and Zarius Smith. Let's flip it over to the, to the interior for a second, though. I still don't love what I see on the interior, Nick. I Look, I love the Nick Gates story. I'm so happy he made the comeback. I still think he can be a decent center for the Giants. Never like what I want at center. What I want at center is a dominant player. At some point, I, I like I made the case before. I'll make it again. I think center is the most underrated position in in football, behind maybe inside linebacker. Those are two positions no one think matters, but they to me mean almost like they mean so much. I, I get that you can get them in like later in the drafts. So that's probably why that's part of the debate. But at left guard, man, I'm ready to just. That's it for me. I want Ben Bredesen out there. I don't want Nick Gates out there. Even the final drive, they had Gates out there. And I was a little surprised to see that. I thought Bredesen would be there for that final drive. And they did score a touchdown. It's not like Gates is playing bad or anything. I just think Bredesen is a little bit better right now at left guard. And not only that, I don't love what I see from Feliciano at center. I'm still a little bit like, I don't want to say confused by the situation at center and left guard, but maybe it's just a situation where 
they are looking at it like if we make a change from Feliciano this late in the season and move Gates to center and Bredesen to left guard, it could be a really disastrous first game or first half of a first game from a communication standpoint, just taking someone like Feliciano out of the game. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's what they're thinking because the time when Nick Gates had to step in at center this season, I felt like the communication was fine. It felt like there were no issues from that standpoint, but that's something that, you know, you'd probably have to ask Bobby Johnson, but I want to get your take on what's going on in the interior right now. I think you're right, Dan. I don't think the Giants really want to spice things up right now. You need to win a game to secure your playoff position. I think they're going to roll with Mark Lewinsky. I'm kind of on the same page with you, though. I'd like to see more Ben Bredesen. Ben Bredesen looked good on tape last week. He did. He really looked good. Nick Gates, I I think he's fine right now. I think Ben Bredesen is probably a more um, consistent player right now than Nick Gates. And you know I love Nick Gates. I love his story. I think he is... Adds a level of toughness to this offensive line room, and that says a lot because they're all tough sons of bitches. One of them is a scumbag, John Feliciano. But I, I would like to see 66 out there because I do think he adds just a little bit more consistency. Maybe they're going to try doing the whole rotation thing. I'm not even 100% certain what the split was in this game between Gates yeah. and Bredesen. We'll have to see that on the tape, and we'll report back to the listeners. But as of right now, dude, I think Glowinski's going to stay the starter, and then you might – see Nick Gates possibly get benched if he was bad in this game, but I can't even tell you if he had like glaring mistakes just because we haven't reviewed the film yet. Fair enough. And we'll have to see in general, generally speaking, we don't love to do offensive line evaluations before we look at the film. Just something to put on the radar though, because I still think we're getting, you know, we're not at the point perfectly yet where we want to be from this offensive standpoint, from the offensive line standpoint, I should say. Okay, Nick, anything else on this game that we didn't cover already? I feel like we hit a lot of it. There's something that we haven't covered yet. What do you want to jump into? Nothing really, but I'll say this, dude. Kevin O'Connell had some man beaters and not just ones next to the line of scrimmage. The the play that they kept running, the fake deep over, kind of like a post corner almost. He had one on the third and one to Justin Jefferson that ended up going incomplete. And then the touchdown, the TJ Hawkinson, it was the same thing. Every team is going to start doing this. And it's Mm -hmm. a really dangerous route because it's very difficult to defend. When you start your route, you go over the middle of the field, you have the defender's momentum just going the entire way on your hip, and then you just break back towards the back pylon for a touchdown, just like TJ Hawkinson's first touchdown. Right. And then the second touchdown was a man beater as well. Only that was from a bunch, and it really happened. A lot of traffic around the line of scrimmage. You get Julian Love to kind of undercut and try to get back in phase. It was really difficult. So... The Giants are running, you know, man coverage forty percent of the time, and they're blitzing as much as they are. Those are there are vulnerabilities within those defenses that are really easily exploited by offensive coordinators. And it seems like the Giants have their philosophy set, and it's pretty set in stone. This is what Wink Martindale is going to do. It's just something to kind of monitor. It's nothing new. It's nothing novel. I'm sure a lot of offensive coordinators are already tracking on this, but it seemed like Kevin O'Connell was really. In these in big situations, had had play calls dialed up that were specifically tailored towards the New York Giants defense, which is shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. No, I mean we're a blitz-heavy team more than any team in the NFL. We run a lot of man, so we don't really have the guys to play man, but we run man anyway, or the Giants run man anyway. And I just want to correct one thing before we sign off here, courtesy of Doug Analytics. I said earlier that the Giants have a seventy-seven percent chance to make the playoffs. Census. That was incorrect, according to Doug Analytics. After the losses with the Commanders, the Lions, and Seahawks all today. Giants actually have a 91% chance to make the playoffs, not 77. 
But if they lose their remaining two games, they still have a 75% chance to make the playoffs. They can literally back their way into the playoffs. We don't want that to happen. I honestly feel like if they lose the Colts, I'm going to start to lose hope again because this Colts team is an absolute. Even if the Colts get a lead on the Giants, I think the Giants should win a game. I don't think Jeff Saturday knows how to close a football game out. To be completely honest, I know he had one win or whatever against the Raiders, but that was against a bad team. Um, but he's And he's collapsed against the Eagles. He's collapsed against the Vikings. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But just wanted to update those numbers. The only way the Giants can actually miss the playoffs is if they lose out and then two, both two, or two of Seattle Detroit commanders have to win out, actually, which is crazy, by the way, right? Like, so the only way they lose is if both te- two of those teams go undefeated and the Giants lose both these games. So playoffs are starting to look very likely here, which is awesome. Um, Seattle has a tiebreaker over the Giants. That doesn't factor in at all because of the tie. I guess not. I'm just going off of Dougie analytics. I don't know. I, I The playoff scenarios actually should call my cousin. Shout out Brian Deutschmeister. I don't think you listen to this, but if you are, he has like every single playoff scenario down ever in the history of the world. He knows everything. So I'll, I'll give him a call after this pod. I should have done it before it and see what's going on there. But yeah, other than that, guys, like I said, Moral victories suck, but this one definitely felt like a moral victory. And I'm excited about how the offense looked. I'm excited about how the pass game looked. I'm excited about how the pass pass blocking looked, considering how often they pass the football. And the pass rush continues to be a strength as long as they can keep some of those guys healthy. Let's hope this Azizo Jolari injury is just a bank, uh, you know, a basketball ankle injury. We'll see from there. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and you know where to find us. You'll find us on YouTube with the offensive film and defensive film breakdowns this week. You'll find it on your iTunes, your Spotify as well. So. Have a great rest of your week. Merry Christmas to all. It's Christmas Eve. We're recording this. I am not a uh, a celebrator because I am Jewish, but Nick is. So I, I'm happy that he took the time to do this tonight on Christmas Eve. I just enjoyed. Uh, what do you What do you think I did with my? I was I spent the uh, day with my family, Nick, and we watched football, watched the Giants. What do you think we had for dinner? What did you have for dinner? Let's see. Um, was it Italian food? Oh, come on, Nick. This is an easy one. Was it fish? No, 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 no. We had Chinese food for dinner. Every Jew on Christmas. It's actually usually we usually do it on Christmas, but this day we did it on Christmas Eve. Nothing's open besides Chinese food. It's Was that only- from Curb or something? No, that's like a known thing. Like Chinese no, restaurants are open on Christmas and Christmas Eve because they know a lot of Jewish people Uh-oh. order Chinese and Chinese food on those <laughs> nights. It's like a thing. Um, so we usually do it on Christmas. We did it on Christmas Eve tonight, um, and then we're going to cook tomorrow. So going back over there so yeah so merry christmas to all thank you so much for tuning into us hopefully you guys have a great holiday look not the result we wanted heartbreaking loss but definitely some positives take away so that's what we'll end it on have a great holiday and go giants happy festivus Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.